0: Chapter 17, Horse Whisperer When we got back, Natasha looked a bit worse for wear, she probably hadn't expected to start the group with a screaming match. But Swift Wind looked fine. I'm not a complete expert in horse body language, but he didn't look particularly traumatized by the whole ordeal. Glad to see you all, Natasha said. Her eyes flickered conspicuously to Katra. To my relief, though, she seemed content to let the whole thing drop. Who'd like to try first? There was an awkward silence as we all considered the same unspoken question, would Entrapta go again? Fortunately, she was probably the best equipped among us when it came to answering those sorts of uncomfortable questions. I will go forth, she said confidently. That way, I can learn by example. Natasha nodded. Sounds good to me. Anyone want to go first? Bo's hand shot up in the air. Natasha smiled. You're up. Bo walked up and grabbed Swift Wind's reins like he'd been doing it his whole life. Predictably, Swift Wind responded immediately to his cues. They were off and walking before I knew it. While he was gone, Natasha provided commentary for the rest of us. See how he's leading? Forceful, but still calm. That's the trick. You want Swifty to know that you know where you're going. My worries from earlier were creeping in again. I wasn't feeling particularly relaxed after the last 15 minutes, if anything, I was more activated than ever. Would Swift Wind register that? How would he respond, if so? Bo had made it to the edge of the corral and was now heading back. Swift Wind matching his pace step for step. I watched as Bo said something to the horse under his breath, Swift Wind whinnied loudly in response, and Bo laughed, like they were sharing some sort of private joke. Great! How was I supposed to follow that? We applauded enthusiastically as Bo returned to his starting spot. After a mock bow, he handed the reins to Hordak and took his place amongst the group. Hordak had a bit of a rough start. He came on pretty forceful at first, I could feel Katra tensing behind me, though she didn't say anything. But after a prompt from Natasha to ease up on the throttle a little, which seemed to make him quite grumpy, he was off. How was it? I asked Bo as I watched Hordak and Swift Wind shuffling in the distance. Great. He grinned. I was a little nervous at first, but Swift Wind made it easy. He hadn't seemed nervous, then again, I'd learned firsthand that Bo wasn't the type to wear his neuroses on his sleeve. Hopefully he makes it easy on me, too. You'll do fine, Glimmer reassured. I don't even like swift wind, and he always walks for me. Shortly after, Hordak came back, and it was Glimmer's turn on the reins. See? Watch. Sure enough swift wind started walking for her without hesitation. Whatever his ability was for sensing negative vibes clearly didn't extend to hers. Maybe he was on the same page as her, and wanted this over and done with as soon as possible. I glanced towards Entrapta. Her expression was ostensibly calm, but she'd started fiddling with her hair again. My heart went out to her, she'd had a rough first lesson so far. Still, I had a feeling she'd do well this time. If Entrapta was anything on Earth, it was a fast learner. Sure enough, once Glimmer had returned after an uneventful lap with Swift Wind, Entrapta approached with confidence. Within seconds, she had executed the movement to perfection, and Swift Wind was off. I couldn't help it, I cheered a little. Spinnerella. Bo and Glimmer joined in with little whooping noises of their own. And while I was worried I might have embarrassed her at first, she eventually turned around to wave with a huge smile on her face, and I knew we'd made her day. It seemed to get bigger at the sight of something behind me, then she turned back around and continued her walk. When I glanced over my shoulder, Catra was holding both of her thumbs up near her head for Entrapta to see. She immediately dropped them and blushed. What? I grinned. Sap. She rolled her eyes, I stepped back until we were parallel, then gave her a gentle shoulder check. She returned it immediately. It was becoming a favorite move of ours. Once Entrapta had made her way to the end of the fence and successfully doubled back, Natasha addressed the group. Who wants to go next? When nobody else volunteered, she started scanning the crowd. Wrong Hordak seemed fiercely determined not to make eye contact, in fact, now that I thought about it, he'd been abnormally quiet all morning. Catra was apparently too busy adjusting her flip flop to notice Natasha's prompt. Seriously, who wore flip flops to a horse handling lesson? After they'd specifically told us not to do that? With no one else to focus on, her sight settled on me, and I realized, too late. That I should have been following everyone else's lead. I cast my eyes downward, pretending to be interested in a stray thread on the sleeve of Catra's hoodie. But when I finally dared to look up, her gaze hadn't shifted. She smiled, a little smugly, as I winced with disappointment. Adora? How'd you like to go next? I wouldn't, as a matter of fact. But I knew I'd have to get it over with eventually. So I sighed, and pushed myself off the fence. Someone whistled luridly behind me, I didn't have to look twice to figure out who it was. I glanced to make sure Spinnerella wasn't looking, then flipped her off over my shoulder. The other residents laughed and made goo noises, Natasa raised an eyebrow, but didn't say anything. I looked behind me to find Catra leaning. Against the corral fence, regarding me with an easy grin. A relaxed sort of focus had spread across her face. Beautiful. The thought struck like lightning, making my anxiety spike in turn. As quickly and nonchalantly as I could, I turned away from her and back towards the horse. It was getting hotter now. The sun had moved out from behind the clouds, and there was nothing to stop it from bearing down directly onto our faces. Sweat was dripping from my forehead and into my eyes. I wiped it away, a sudden swimminess clouding my thoughts. I took the reins from her hands, they were made of old leather, slightly tacky on one side from all the hands that had gripped them before. I stood with my shoulders squared towards the end of the arena. This was it, don't think too much about it. Just walk, and pull. Walk, and pull. I walked. I pulled. Swift Wind didn't budge. I tried again, more forceful this time. Nothing. When I looked back, I could see Swift Wind straining slightly against his bridle. His eyes were locked straight on me and completely unflinching. It sent a chill down my spine. That's okay, Adora, Natasha said gently. Just take a deep breath, and try again. I took a breath, allowing the warm, dusty air to fill my lungs and calm my nerves. It wasn't exactly pleasant, but it would have to do for now. I closed my eyes, steeling myself to the best of my abilities, and pulled. Nothing. Not one inch. I could feel anxiety and stress, which I'd done my best to shove down, bursting through the cracks of my forced calm. No one else had struggled like this. No one. Not Glimmer, not Hordak, not even Entrapta, and she'd basically tried to drag him her first try. What was I doing wrong? I kept trying. Walk, pull. Walk, pull. He refused to move. No matter how confident I acted, he simply refused to trust me. It made my mood plummet. Fast. Suddenly, it was as if all my doubts and insecurities, ones that had seemed so far away, just a moment ago, were crashing into me at once. All in the form of one stupid, stubborn horse. Hadn't they said this was supposed to be easy? Maybe it was, for normal people. But this horse wasn't as fooled by my mask as everyone else was. He could see right through me. And clearly, he hadn't liked what he'd found. I was alarmed to realize that tears were welling in the corners of my eyes, mingling with my sweat and burning as they fell. Natasha was saying something to me. But I couldn't hear her anymore. I'd spent so much time trying to fool the people around me into thinking I was worth something, worth anything, only to have my true self revealed by this stupid horse. And he was right, wasn't he? I wasn't a leader. I didn't know where we were going. Hell, I didn't even know how to direct my own life, let alone someone else's. I was a failure. Pathetic. And now everyone here knows it. No one would ever respect me after this. Katra. Someone was pressing softly into my middle back with the palm of their hand. I inhaled gently with surprise. For just a moment, the touch stilled my thoughts and tethered me back to reality. Horses aren't like people. It was Catra. She was speaking softly in my ear, so that only I could hear her. They're smart, but not that smart. They can't read your mind, or hear your thoughts, or any of that. All he knows is that you're scared. He hates me. I whispered. My lip was trembling like a little kid's, I bit down on my inner cheek, hard, and felt the taste of copper in my mouth. Horses don't hate, she said, chuckling softly. And if they did, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't hate you. Not a lot to work with there. You don't know that, I choked. Tears were running freely down both cheeks, now, I didn't bother to stop them. You barely even know me. Catra didn't respond right away, but I felt her hand shift upwards to rest on my shoulder. It made my heart thrill, in spite of everything. Maybe not. But I know enough to be pretty sure you don't want to hurt this horse, or lead him into danger. Am I right? I nodded, still blinking away tears. Of course not. Good. That's all he needs to know. You don't have to change anything, or act like someone you're not. You don't have to be some kind of horse-training superwoman. Just, let go. Be yourself. I stood there for a bit, eyes closed, focused on nothing but her touch and the sound of my own heartbeat. Something raw and painful was working its way through my chest, but I couldn't understand what it was. All I knew was that this was about way more than just a stupid horse. Somehow, Catra knew that. I took a deep breath, a real one, this time and let oxygen fill my lungs as the hitch in my chest faltered and slowed. As I exhaled, relaxation flooded my body. Finally, I opened my eyes. Okay. Her hand left my shoulder, in spite of how hot it was, I missed its warmth. But I heard her say, you've got this, from a few feet back, and I knew she hadn't gone far. I looked at Swift Wind. He didn't hate me horses didn't hate. I just had to show him where to go. That's all. Squaring my shoulders, I walked forward. He didn't budge. I couldn't help it, I laughed. It was a laugh mixed with a sob, but still a laugh. All that dramatic soul-searching, and this horse still wasn't going to move. It was terrible. And hilarious. I heard Catra laughing behind me. It was a warm, genuine sound I'd never heard before, not from her, and I instinctively turned to look. Her eyes danced with amusement, but it didn't feel like she was making fun of me. The whole thing was just absolutely absurd. I could tell she knew that. We laughed together for a moment, not caring about the curious glances we were getting from the others. I felt the tension drain from my body. I was literally crying over a horse a rainbow horse. It was genuinely funny to me, for some reason, and Catra seemed to agree, because our laughter seemed to escalate every time we locked eyes with each other. Without thinking, I took a few steps backward. Swift wind followed. Katra stopped laughing instantly, she looked about as surprised as I felt. A huge, dorky smile was spreading across my face. But I wasn't going to let this opportunity go to waste. I matched pace with him, still walking backwards, and soon we were moving steadily towards the opposite fence. The cheers from the group were louder than they'd been for anyone else, but as embarrassing as it was, I didn't mind. I'd earned them. It took me a while to turn around. Part of it was because I didn't want to ruin Swifty's momentum. Mostly, it was because those beautiful eyes of hers were looking at me, just then, like I was some sort of horse-training superwoman. For just that moment, we were the only two people in the world, and it made me want to do something incredibly stupid and lame. So I did. I winked at her. Then I spun around very quickly, biting my lip like an idiot, and continued on. My blood was throbbing for all kinds of reasons as I led Swift Wind to the edge of the corral. But eventually, we settled into a nice, even trot. He offered no resistance as we walked, even though my heart must have been going a mile a minute. Feeling a bit more confident, and no longer on the verge of tears, I decided to try some light conversation. Thanks, Swifty. See, I'm not so bad, right? Swifty did not respond. But he kept walking, so I decided to take it as an affirmative. You really are a handsome guy. Who did your hair? It looks fantastic. It was stupid, and I wasn't expecting any kind of response, but I swear to God, he nickered at me. Maybe he could understand flattery, after all. We were nearing the edge of the corral. My chest tightened with anxiety. I could still feel the sweat dripping down my back beneath my hoodie. Okay, Swifty. No big deal. Just gonna turn around and head back. And when we finish, you'll get some nice fresh hay, and I'll chug an entire bottle of water at top speed. Doesn't that sound great? No response. Guess we'd find out. Wincing slightly with anticipation, I pushed gently on his upper body exactly like I'd been told, to get him to change directions. To my surprise, he went without a fight. I grinned. Clearly, whatever internal battle we'd been having was over now. He was content to let me lead the way. We turned back towards the front. I was feeling comfortable now, Swift Wind was being incredibly cooperative, and I had a brief moment of tranquility away from the rest of the group. I remembered from watching Bo that we were mostly out of earshot at this range. It gave me a stupid idea. Swift wind? I asked. No response, guess I should have expected that. I waited a moment. Then, before I could lose my nerve, I blurted out, I think I like girls. In particular, that girl over there. The annoying one with the flip-flops, I felt a thrill of nerves run through my body. Don't tell anyone, though. I was fairly confident that he wouldn't, given the language barrier and all. A horse seemed like a pretty good secret keeper in that respect. But I should have known not to group swift wind in with the average horse. Because as soon as I'd said it, he started whining like crazy. And refused to stop. I laughed, slightly hysterical. From a distance I heard everyone else laughing too. A blush spread across my already rosy cheeks. Nobody would ever know it, but from my perspective, it genuinely seemed like swift wind was going into some kind of gay panic. It was absurd. Given the rainbow mane, I could only hope it was the positive kind. We were almost there now, and the whinnying hadn't stopped. In a fit of strange paranoia, I giggled, be cool, as we approached the group. The whinnying ceased immediately. God, this horse was weird. Moments later, I made it back to where Natasa was standing and brought swift wind to a stop. The whole group, even Hordak, clapped. My heart was still thumping with anxiety and adrenaline as I handed Natasa the reins. She patted me on the shoulder affectionately, I was grinning hard, like a little kid. When I met Katra's eyes. I found that she was regarding me with a level of fondness that made my heart do a backflip. Even as I made my way towards her, I didn't relinquish her gaze. I just let her eyes hold me for a bit, only. Breaking contact when I'd settled at her side on the fence, close, but far enough that I could have plausible deniability if she asked. She didn't. Instead, she placed her hand lightly on my shoulder, another jolt, and murmured, nice job, princess. I was too nervous to respond with anything but a smile. After a moment, she broke contact. I could still feel the ghost of her touch on my skin, even through the sleeve. Wrong Hordak? You're up, buddy. I knew exactly what was going to happen as he walked towards the reins, practically shaking with nerves. I'd been hesitant, but Wrong Hordak looked terrified. I guess he had been all along. There was no way Swift Wind would put up with that. I watched helplessly as Rong Hordak took the reins like they were radioactive, gave a faint tug, and absolutely nothing happened. I expected we'd be in for a long wait. But to my surprise, Rong Hordak didn't even try to convince Swifty. He just handed the reins over and crossed his arms over his stomach like he was going to be sick. A brief back and forth with Natasha failed to convince him to try again, and though she was clearly a little frustrated, she eventually let him head back to the group. Part of me wished I'd known that quitting was an option in the first place. But deep down, I knew I would have never done it, I would have stood there, clutching those stupid reins in my hands, until the sun went down. I was just glad it hadn't come to that. I felt another surge of affection for the girl at my side. Catra? Come on up. Natasha called. She moved forward, I offered up a sincere, good luck. Katra responded with a cocky smirk. Don't need it. I'm a natural. I just rolled my eyes. Glad to see she's feeling better, Glimmer grumbled. It was getting hard not to notice the suspicious looks Bo was shooting me in my periphery. He'd been glancing between the two of us for a while now. I cleared my throat and rapped lightly on my chest with my fist, if only to keep my hands busy. It was really getting hot out here. I hadn't expected Catra to have any trouble getting him started, and I was right, she'd barely stopped to take the reins before moving forward with swift wind at her side. I couldn't help but watch her admiringly, and a bit protectively, as she went. This girl really was a force of nature. I hoped people appreciated that, even if she made things hard sometimes. When I turned back to the group, Bo was still staring at me. So. Bo started. My mouth went dry. What's up? I asked, not suspiciously at all. Bo gave an innocent shrug. Nothing. I'm just, glad you and Catra get along so well. My heart squeezed with nerves. That was about as direct of a question as Beau seemed capable of. I was going to have to come up with some sort of defense. Then, Glimmer scoffed. Are you talking about Adora's massive gay crush? My brain nearly exploded. Keep your voice down. I shushed frantically, much louder than Glimmer had spoken in the first place. Wrong Hordak turned to glance curiously for a moment, then looked obliviously away. Glimmer pursed her lips. Okay. So, that's a yes, then? I groaned, hiding my face in my hands. One day. That's how long it took for me to out myself. Maybe I would go stand directly behind Swift Wind for a while after all. Anything was better than this. You don't have to say anything. Bo whispered, looking accusingly at Glimmer. That is totally your business. You are under no obligation to tell us anything whatsoever. You kinda just did though, Glimmer murmured, a bit snarky. So you might as well just free yourself of that burden now. Glimmer. Bo crossed his arms. What, she cried, voice lowered to a stage whisper. katra has been making dumb insinuations about me all week, and no one ever yells at her for it. Getting bullied is not an acceptable reason to become a bully, Glimmer. Bo whispered furiously. Oh, four fucks sa It's fine. Bo and Glimmer fell silent. They looked at me nervously for a moment. I sighed. How could I possibly describe everything that was going on in my head right now? My stomach clenched with anxiety. It's, I don't know. I shrugged helplessly. I guess it's, possible there might be something there. On my end, I mean. But I just started figuring all this out yesterday, and I'm still really confused about things, like, I don't want to label anything yet. If at all. Bo looked horrified. See. Yesterday. One day, Glimmer. Are you happy now? Glimmer, to her credit, did look a bit guilty. I'm sorry, she moaned. Volume still low. I'm just nosy. I didn't mean for it to be a thing. It's not, I said, massaging the bridge of my nose. I lowered my voice even more. Seriously, it's not a big deal. I'm just trying to figure stuff out right now. Of course, Bo said kindly. We're sorry for pushing you. Reflexively, I found my eyes drifting towards Katra that's when I saw it. I hadn't been watching her as she made her way to the edge of the corral. Now, she seemed to be going almost, too fast. For a second, I figured it was just the heat frying my brain. But Natasha had noticed it too. Is she? Just then, she and Swift Wind veered to the left, and yep, they were running. It wasn't much faster than a jog, and I doubt swift wind even registered the difference. But it was still running. Katra had removed her flip-flops, and was now jogging, barefoot. Her shoes flapped in her hands as she moved, a massive shit-eating grin spread across her face. Katra. Katra either couldn't hear Natasa or didn't care, because she didn't slow down. Rather than take him directly back down the middle she'd opted to lead him around the perimeter instead. Swift Wind, for his part, was overjoyed, whinnying merrily and matching her strides without hesitation. Is she fucking insane? Glimmer cried, abandoning all volume control. She's gonna lose a foot. Bo, to my surprise, seemed to find the whole thing as amusing as I did. Of course she won't, he chuckled, looking at me knowingly. She's too stubborn. A massive grin spread across my face. Natasha had been fighting to maintain her patience all day, but it was clear that this had been her last straw. She turned towards Spinnerella, I heard her let loose with a volley of swear words under her breath, punctuated occasionally by phrases such as, shoes, liability insurance, and stupid kid. Fortunately, Catra had enough common sense to slow swift wind to a trot, and then a walk, as she approached the rest of the group. By the time she'd made it back around, they were shuffling along at a perfectly reasonable pace, and Katra was feigning a look of innocence that fooled absolutely no one. Hey, guys. What did I miss? She was slightly out of breath. Natasa looked like she was about to burst a few blood vessels. Spinarella glanced nervously between the two, as if preparing to break up some kind of fight. Instead, Natasa forced a painful smile. That's enough for today. I think Swift Wind needs a little break after all that excitement. Group dismissed. With that, she turned towards Swift Wind to take the reins, and receive what I assumed was some emergency equine therapy of her own. Spinnerella trailed nervously behind her. We all started to meander towards the exit, dropping our buckets along the perimeter where we'd found them. She's such a douche. Glimmer hissed. Running barefoot alongside a horse? That has to be the stupidest idea on the planet. Yeah. Pretty stupid, were the words that came out of my mouth. What I was actually thinking, as I watched Katra innocently hand over the reins to a fuming Natasa, was that this stubborn asshole of a girl might just be my personal hero. She met my eyes, I mouthed, idiot, in her direction. Then she grinned, all wild and devil-may-care, and I thought my cheeks might split from smiling. I really like you. The words popped into my head without warning. Maybe a few hours ago, they would have terrified me. Maybe they still kind of did. But at that moment, with the sun beating down on my face, I just laughed, loud enough to startle Bo and Glimmer as they left the corral. Because it was true. I may not have known where I fell regarding labels, but my feelings for her were undeniable now. I'd deal with the fallout later. But right then, as I moved towards Catra, mostly to pull her dumb, barefooted ass away from the horse, my heart was light. And that's something I hadn't been able to say for quite some time. Chapter 19, Heat It was right around the time we left the corral that I finally began to realize I was in trouble. Ever since we'd come back from break, I'd been feeling a little, off. It was around Catra's turn with the horse when I started noticing it in earnest, I'd brushed it off as nervous delirium at the time. But now her turn was long over, and I was still sweating buckets under the blazing sun. And then, so quickly, I could hardly believe it, I realized that I was going to pass out. Now. My condition deteriorated almost impossibly fast after that. It seemed like within seconds, I went from that initial feeling of alarm to that distinct floating sensation which could only mean one thing. A bad thing. Just let me get to the house, I told myself. Please. Let me get to the house. But as I walked towards the door, which seemed to be getting farther and farther away, the faster I moved, my stomach gave a sickening lurch. And I knew, then, that I wasn't going to make it. Everyone else was several steps ahead of me, except Catra. I was going to have to tell her. The thought made me feel even worse. But there was no other choice. My head was really swimming now. Whatever I was going to do, I needed to do it immediately. Right as I felt my knees giving out, my hand found her shoulder. Catra dash. I collapsed. Everything got muddled after that. I felt her arms wrap tight around my shoulders. Then I was on the floor, and she was yelling at me, or maybe someone else was, but I didn't know why. Someone ripped my hoodie off. And I saw Spinnerella's face above me, eyes wide with terror, and everyone was staring, and all I could think in that moment was they know now. They know what you are. But soon the face disappeared, and someone, maybe two someones, were carrying my body towards the house. One person had my legs, and the other carried my torso, their arms wrapped beneath mine. They were straining against my weight, but I didn't understand why. My body felt light as air. I killed my head against the person behind me, and knew immediately, somehow, that it was Catra. I closed my eyes and tried to lose myself in the feeling of her body against mine. Catra could never want someone like me. But at least I had this. At least she was holding me now, even if it was under the most humiliating circumstances imaginable. Even if she never would again. Cold air blasted over my exposed skin as we crossed over the perimeter of the house. Soon I was on the ground, my legs propped up with pillows, and… Someone was putting ice all over my body. No, not ice, some kind of cold pack. The sensation was such a relief that there was nothing else to do at that point but close my eyes and savor it. Someone would occasionally lift my head and stick a straw in my mouth, and I'd suck on it without thinking. The water burned cold in my throat, but the world got a bit clearer every time I drank it. Time passed, I have no idea how much. Eventually, I felt the dizziness begin to fade. When I opened my eyes, the first thing I saw was Spinnerella standing directly above me. Her features were tight with worry. Sorry, I mumbled reflexively. I heard someone scoff to my left. I didn't need to move my head to know who it was. She must be feeling better, if she's already apologizing, Catra quipped. I thought I heard her voice waver a little. Someone else laughed then, Glimmer. They really did love bonding over my misery, didn't they? How are you feeling, sweetheart? Spinnerella asked. She attempted to guide the straw into my mouth again, but I dodged it. I'm okay. Really. I'm sorry about this, I insisted, trying to hide the tremor in my voice. I made a move to sit up, but was immediately pinned back down. Easy, Adora. Give the ice a bit more time to work. I don't want you to drop again. As embarrassed as I was, I knew she was right, even that slight movement had made me dizzy. With a sigh that came out more like a scoff, I let Spinnerella maneuver the straw into my mouth and took a few quick sips. Now that I was coming to my senses, the full weight of my shame was beginning to sink in. I was too weak to crane my neck towards the group behind me but I assumed I was in full view of the entire house. Even with my shirt and pants on, I felt stark naked. That was an entire room full of people who would never see me the same way again, if not for my scar, then at least for my pathetic inability to function in the heat. I yearned to hide myself in Catra's hoodie, but new staff would never let me. And what would be the point, anyways? Everyone could see it now. They all knew. All my feelings of elation from equine had vanished. Now, I was closer to my limit than I'd been in days. Feeling better? Spinnerella asked. She was still hovering over me, and in spite of how close she was, I was finding it difficult to meet her eyes. I managed a slight nod. Yeah. I'm okay. Let me help you up. She propped her hand beneath my upper back and took hold of my arm with the other. Together, we managed to get my body into a semi-comfortable, seated position. I realized I was on the living room floor, right in front of the couch, Spinerella was able to steer my body so that it was propped up against the base of the armrest. My head still swam a little, but it was better than before. At least I didn't feel like throwing up anymore. I realized that my original assumption, that the whole group was bearing witness to my little episode, was incorrect. Only Beau, Glimmer, and Catra were. Standing by, with Spinnerella and Natasha in the wings. The rest had dispersed to the kitchen, though I could see them casting wary glances at me every now and then. How are you feeling? Glimmer asked. I saw her eyes flicker, almost imperceptibly, to my scar as she spoke. I crossed my arms self-consciously over my stomach. Fine. Good, I mean. I think I just forgot to drink water before I headed out. It might have also been because you were wearing a black hoodie in 95-degree weather, Spinnerella offered. I sighed. Yeah. Probably that, too. I finally managed to look up at the rest of the group. Beau and Glimmer were staring at me like I'd just come back from the dead. Judging by their expressions, I must have gotten pretty close. Catra looked concerned too, but there was something else there as well. A sort of, blankness, almost. Like she was thinking hard about something. Whatever it was, I doubted it was anything positive. Not after a display like that. My stomach twisted with nerves and shame. Group's about to start, but I don't want you getting up just yet. Just drink some more water, and we'll take it slow, said Spinnerella. I was torn between my reluctance to go to the group and my determination to prove that I was okay. Eventually, the latter won out. I'm fine. Seriously. You don't need to worry about me. I'm ready. Sorry, sweetheart. It's sort of my job, Spinnerella replied sympathetically. I sighed and reached for my glass. Maybe she'd let me go if I finished the whole thing. We can do floor group again. Intrapta had appeared out of nowhere. The whole group, even Spinnerella, startled a bit. Floor group is great. We did it once when Hordak was having a bad pain day. From across the room, I heard Hordak make a gurgling noise of displeasure. Intrapta's eyes widened. I mean, when he wasn't feeling well, she correctly said weakly. Even in my depleted state, I found myself a bit curious about that. I hadn't known Hordax suffered from chronic pain. It seemed like a subject he was eager to avoid. "That's a great idea." Spinnerella replied, without missing a beat. "If you all would like to grab some pillows, we can do a group in the living room today." I realized that I'd somehow managed to land myself in a situation where I was both floorbound and forced to talk about my feelings. Really, guys, it's fine, I said helplessly. You can go to the other room. No, I like this idea. Bo insisted. We always do group activities there, this'll be fun. I'll grab pillows. Glimmer exclaimed, practically shouting. She left before I had time to argue. Floor group it was. The rest of the clients meandered into the living room. Wrong Hordak and Entrapta stretched lengthwise on their stomachs while Hordak took a spot on the couch, his legs hanging a few feet away from me. Bo took the empty spot on my right, I felt an immediate stab of guilt at how much it disappointed me. It was nothing at all against him. I just had my hopes up for someone else, in spite of how humiliated I was feeling right then. That, someone else, stretched out next to Entrapta instead her elbows propped under her chin and feet crossed at the ankles. She probably would have gone there anyways, even if Bo hadn't sat down first. I wouldn't want to sit by a sweaty, half-dead nutcase either. A few seconds after Glimmer had returned with the pillows, Mara walked in. She didn't say anything, she just looked a bit confused as to what we were all doing on the ground, five minutes after the session was supposed to begin. Floor group, Spinnerella offered. Mara just nodded, as if that sentence needed no further clarification. She headed straight for the empty spot. It was rather strange to see my highly dignified therapist stretching out on the floor, but Mara didn't seem phased in the slightest. Guess they really had done this before. As some of you know, today's open process, she started. Let's go ahead and start with a brief check-in, just to say how we're feeling and then we can go clockwise around the circle again to talk about whatever comes up. Everyone nodded. My heart fell. I'd hoped to be able to stay silent during this group, but it looked like we were all getting a turn. Hopefully I'll be close to last. I'll start, said Bo. I sighed quietly to myself. I really had to stop sitting so close to the always-goes-first guy. The room went silent with anticipation, and Beau began. I'm feeling a little better today, he said. I've had good talks with people lately, I think that's helped take some of the weight off of the depression. I saw that he was looking at me from the corner of his eyes with a small smile, I couldn't help but return it. I just found out I made it to round two of that DRYLL internship, too, so that's awesome. Honestly, I wasn't expecting to get a result back that quickly. Guess someone up there really liked my application. Mara smiled appreciatively. That's great news, Bo. Thanks for sharing. A few people snapped to show congratulations. Adora? Crap. All eyes turned to me. Um. How was I feeling? Pretty bad, honestly. The dehydration was taking its toll, but I knew it was more complicated than that. From the moment I came to, my brain had felt like it had been literally fried, everything seemed dull and irritating to me now. Fortunately, Entrapta stepped in with a helpful interjection. Adora got heat exhaustion and passed out. That's why we're all on the floor. She smiled at me earnestly. I gave her a half-hearted thumbs-up back. Really? Mara asked, her eyes widening. Are you doing all right, Adora? I shrugged. Physically? Yeah, I'm okay. I honestly just needed to drink water. I realized too late what I'd set myself up for. Mara jumped on the lead without hesitation. How about emotionally? Great. Nice one, Adora. I smiled humorlessly. Tired. Tired isn't an emotion, Adora, Mara replied kindly. I scoffed at that. Really? That's pretty much all I ever feel, nowadays. Mara nodded, like I'd said something profound. A sudden, unwarranted flash of irritation passed through me. Interesting. How does that manifest in your body? I shrugged. I'm not sure what that means. You said it was emotional for you, not just physical. How does that emotion feel in your body? I laughed, because I had no idea how to answer that question, and because Mara was focusing on me too much and it was kind of starting to piss me off. As in, what body part? If you'd like, yes. I made the mistake of glancing at Catra, only to see a look of undisguised concern in her eyes. Like I was something fragile, about to break. And ironically enough, seeing that was the thing that finally broke me. I have no idea, I blurted, throwing my hands hopelessly in the air. I really don't. All I know is it makes me want to go to sleep and never wake up. So I guess the answer is, all of them, dot. The words were out of my mouth before I could stop them. It was quiet for a moment. I didn't look up. I wanted nothing more than to disappear, in that moment, from this room, this house, this city. Everything. Then Mara replied, softly, I'd like to talk a little more about that after check-in. Is that okay, Adora? I just nodded. It didn't seem like I was going to get much choice in the matter. Fortunately, Mara accepted my answer, and finally moved on. Hordak? How are you feeling today? we proceeded around the circle. Hordak was predictably feeling annoyed, though he refused to specify why. I figured it might have something to do with getting called a cradle robber. Wrong Hordak was feeling joyous, which was. Surprising. Clearly, he hasn't internalized his own failures with swift wind the same way I had, I was honestly jealous. Entrapta was also feeling upbeat. Apparently, outside of her victory with Equine, she'd had the opportunity to assist a fellow scientist in his endeavors lately. She refused to clarify any more, and I was left wondering how, exactly, she had managed to aid the scientific community from an inpatient rehab. It was beginning to look like I was the only one here with anything major to process, and that scared me. I'd hoped Catra would bail me out, given the day she'd had, but even she seemed unusually upbeat. I'm alright. I mean, she clarified, sensing Mara's protest, I'm feeling content. I was sort of an asshole to everyone earlier, but add, uh. Catra looked at me, and I could have sworn she blushed a little. I was able to, uh, get off my high horse and talk it out. So that was good. My heart pricked with warmth for the first time in a while. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Katra Glimmer Glimmer sighed and stretched her arms out over her head. I'm okay. Yesterday was a bit insane, emotions-wise. But in general, I've just been feeling kind of over it all lately. She sighed. I'm on day 70 now, and it's Ugh. I just want to get out of here so I can focus on work and preferably not talk about feelings for the next 20 years. Mara smiled. Thanks, Glimmer. That makes a lot of sense. It did make a lot of sense. But we'd made it back around the circle, and I was uncomfortably aware that I was the only one in the group who'd mentioned having a death wish. I had a feeling that would mean I was going first. I was correct. Adora, I wanted to circle back to what you mentioned earlier. If that's okay. I looked around at all those worried faces, and had the sudden urge to laugh again. What a weird melodrama my life had become. What a joke. Not much more to add, to be honest. I'm tired. I don't particularly want to be here. That's it. Mara pressed on. Want to be where? This rehab. Planet Earth. Anywhere, really. Are you having thoughts of suicide, Adora? I smiled, wan and brittle. If she wanted to tell the truth, I'd give it to her. I'm kind of always having those, Mara. The room seemed to drop several degrees in the silence that followed. Do you have any thoughts of how you might end your life? Anything specific? I scoffed. No. I mean, yeah, I guess but I would never do anything here. I'm not that big of a monster. I was spiraling quickly now, seemingly out of nowhere, and talking about it was making it worse. But for some reason, I didn't stop. Except, I already did something like that. I tried to slice my arm open in the school dorms. So I guess there really is no depth I wouldn't sink to. I let out a frantic, angry laugh. I mean, that's why I'm here, right? To prove to my university I'm not a complete lunatic? Well, I am. Everyone knows it. You all know it, now. Without thinking, I thrust my forearm out in front of the whole group. I noticed a few people wince, but I didn't care. It didn't matter anymore. This is what I am. A depressed loser who couldn't even end things properly. Tears were forming in my eyes, but my voice was cold, I spat bile with every word. And you know what? I continued. I'm glad I did it. Here, specifically. I pointed to my arm. Where I can never hide it again. The words were tumbling out of my mouth now. I was out of control. I've been trying for so long to be the kind of person that someone, anyone, would love. To be the best daughter, best student, best engineer, best, fucking astronaut I could be. And I've failed. Every single time. So why not wear it on my arm? Angry tears were beginning to form in the corners of my eyes. At least now people will know the truth. And that's better than them assuming I have any idea what the fuck I'm doing. Because I don't. I could feel Catra's eyes on me, but I refused to meet them. Instead, I let my eyes fall shut. I never have. The weight of everything I'd said was suffocating. I dropped my head in defeat. I'd said my piece. They could take it from here, or not. Either way, I was done. In the end, it wasn't a voice that caught my attention, but another sound, the gentle rustling of fabric. It could have been anything. Maybe a person adjusting on their pillow, or reaching across the floor for something. But for some reason, the noise intrigued me enough that I lifted my head to see what it was. Catra had taken off her shirt. There was not a single person in that room who wasn't frozen with shock. Even Hordak had abandoned his usual disaffected scowl for a wide-eyed gape. No one said anything. We just stared. It took about five seconds for me to pick my jaw off the floor long enough to process what was happening. Catra had removed her crop top and was down to nothing but a sports bra. It was modest, by underclothing standards, but was still just that, a bra. Her scar was out. My brain seemed to have glitched. The downward spiral, previously all-encompassing, vanished in an instant. Only one thought rang clear through the din of my thoughts. She was doing this for me. She was showing her scar to me. Catra didn't meet my eyes. She seemed to be playing it casual, but her shoulders were tense, she knew she was taking a huge risk. Putting herself on the line, all for some stupid gesture. I'd never felt so much affection for another person in my entire life. Eventually the silence got too awkward to ignore. Catra just shrugged. What? I was hot. Yeah, right. It was freezing here. They'd clearly turned the AC up for me after I'd passed out, I could literally see the goosebumps on her arms. Everyone knew what this was really about. The question was whether or not she'd get away with it. Katra and Mara seemed to be having some sort of unspoken face-off. I could see Mara parsing through dress code policy and her own code of ethics in the privacy of her mind trying to figure out how she wanted to handle the situation. But after about five seconds of deliberation, she seemed to decide it wasn't worth the fight. She returned her gaze to me. Thank you for sharing, Adora. I'm so sorry to hear you're feeling this way right now. Is there anything I, or the group, can do to support you through this time? I looked at Catra, and finally, she looked back. She'd been keeping her expression intentionally neutral throughout, but I saw her eyes soften as they met mine. It made me want to grab her tight, in front of everyone, and hold her close to my chest. She cared about me. You've already done enough just by listening, I replied. Thank you. I seriously appreciate it. The words were meant for the group, but I said them directly to Catra. I could tell by the twitch of her lips that she understood. Of course. Mara glanced quickly between us, and though I saw the question in her eyes, she didn't voice it. I want you to keep me updated on how you're feeling today, if you don't mind. We're all here for you, Adora. You don't have to do this alone. Glimmer and Bo both reached over to squeeze my upper arm at once. And when I looked around at the circle, at Mara, and Catra, and all the rest, I found myself genuinely believing that statement for the first time. Okay, I said. I sighed and let my eyes fall shut, tension ebbed from my body. They didn't think I was a freak, even after everything I'd said. They all cared, Catra cared. I feel lighter now. I will. Why do people do drugs? I recognize that that's a massive subject shift. And a stupid one. People do drugs because they're fun, and then because they can't stop. Objectively speaking, I understand how it happens. But why do people start? Why, after spending the entirety of their elementary years and beyond getting told exactly how bad drugs are, and exactly how fast they'll destroy you? Why throw your life away? I've honestly never had the urge. It's not something I understand but I want to, understand, I mean. Now more than ever. The rest of the day was pretty uneventful. We had this one group where we watched a bunch of TED talks about vulnerability and commented on it. I didn't participate much, the morning had been vulnerable enough. Eventually we had a computer block, where I once again had to try and cram five hours of work into a one-hour session, and that was pretty much it for the day. The only thing that really stood out about the evening was this, after dinner, a few people got pulled away to go to what they called a, 12-step meeting, on Zoom. They held it in the group room while the rest of us had free time. Hordak was one of them. Not to be rude, but I wasn't too surprised by that, he looked like someone who'd gotten a little too wild in the punk scene back in the day, even if Catra hadn't mentioned the pills already. Glimmer was too, I might've been surprised but her various cocaine comments from earlier had sort of spoiled things for me. The third member was Catra. She didn't look at me as she left the room. I got this weird feeling in my stomach when she walked away, like I was being hollowed out from the inside. It continued long after she'd gone, if anything, it got worse as the group continued. I ended up just cutting my free time early and going to bed. The thought of her in that room was making me sick. I don't know why I'm making such a big deal out of things. It's not like I didn't already know she'd done stuff like that in the past, even if I didn't realize the extent. And really, what's the difference between killing yourself with drugs and killing yourself with a knife? We're all in the same boat, here, all of us teetering on the brink of life and death, waiting for something to reach over the edge and drag us into the dark. So I guess her substance issues shouldn't matter any more to me than those scars on her leg. But they do. And I think it's because the former is something I just don't understand. I have no frame of reference. And it makes it a lot scarier and more challenging to cope with. Catra has a lot of things like that in her life. Everything about her, her opinions, her suffering, her passion, her rage, is so big. And a part of that scares me, but another is just jealous. I've always felt so small and boring compared to everyone else, and that insecurity doubles when I'm around her. Like I'm a sputtering candle, and she's a wildfire. I'm being obsessive and weird. I know that. Normal people don't write long, rambling paragraphs about girls they've only known for a few days. Normal people don't go without sleep just in case their roommate has a nightmare. But then again, most people's roommates aren't Catra. And I feel like if they were, those people might understand why I do the things I do. She was still finishing up the dog drawing before bed. I found myself falling back into old insecurities while I watched her, wondering if maybe she'd lied about the affectionate thing to get me off her back, and now she was just finishing it out of a weird sense of guilt and obligation. When I peeked over her shoulder, though, I felt better about things. It was a nice dog. like it wasn't overly goofy looking, and the detailing was really good. Not the kind you'd draw if you wanted to make fun of someone. And then, when she'd finally autographed it, and did a stupid bow before handing it to me, I saw that she'd put a little heart at the end. And maybe it's just a part of her signature, and maybe she does that with all of the drawings she gives to friends. But my heart stopped when I saw it, and it's been beating a little funny ever since. So yeah. I'm certain about virtually nothing right now, but I do know one thing, I really like this girl. I just wish I knew why the thought of it terrifies me so much. Chapter 19, Crunch Time Day 5 Wildcat, why is there a fucking Ashira in our backyard? Sparkles, a what now? Wildcat, Ashira? It's literally the most expensive cat in the world and it's sitting in our backyard eating a bird carcass right now. Arrow boy, wait, are you talking about Melug? Wildcat, Muho. Shiare, their name is Melug. They live here. Wildcat, how the fuck can this place afford something like that? Those things literally go for 75k. Sparkles, dude we didn't buy them I swear they just showed up like two months ago and never left. Wildcat, why are you guys using they slash them pronouns for this thing, did it come out to you or something? Shira, their gender is indeterminate so ppl use they slash them pronouns. Out of respect. Sparkles, yeah we think they're intersex or something, that's what Raz said. Wildcat, so let me get this perfectly fucking straight. Wildcat, there is a Shira, an intersex is Shira, living in our backyard. Literally the rarest cat on the planet. And no one thought it would be a good idea to mention this to me? Sparkles, I mean no offense but you were kind of a dick when you first got here. I wasn't gonna randomly start chatting you up about the intersex leopard cat living in our backyard. Shira, how do you know all of this stuff anyways? Wildcat, I know shit about cats okay. And anyways that's not what we should be focusing on right now we need to capture that fucker and sell it ASAP. Sparkles, bitch you can't just sell our cat are you high? Wildcat, are you? That's $75,000 that y'all are literally letting run free right now. Probably a lot more with the weird gender thing. Wildcat, not to mention it'd almost definitely be way better off in an actual home instead of gnawing on bird meat in a rehab backyard. Sparkles. Look idk what weird internet articles you've been reading when you're drunk, but I'm pretty sure a seventy-five thousand dollar cat doesn't exist. And even if it did, we wouldn't betray Melag like that. They're part of the family. Wildcat, you can speak for yourself. But I'm going to catch that damn thing, and when I do, you're all getting jack shit. Shiara, you're literally insane. Wildcat. Babe, you are stuck in a mental institution with me. Do you really want to throw stones right now? Shiare, no. Wildcat, I thought so. Damn. I knew it had been a while since I wrote last, but I had no idea it had been two whole days. I didn't understand it at the time, but Scorpio was right every hour is a lifetime here. I honestly might have been a different person the last time I wrote about this thing. Actually, I know for a fact that I was. Because the Adora who wrote in this journal two days ago had a job, a school, and a future. And I have none of those things now. It's a devastating loss. I'm probably going to be dealing with the consequences of this for years, maybe a lifetime. Almost everything I was, and everything I had, has been stripped away from me. So why do I feel better now than I did before? Maybe I'll figure it out when I write it all down. I'm not going to say the two days prior were uneventful, because nothing here ever is. But I couldn't help but feel like I'd settled into a routine. I'd wake up in the morning to the sound of staff knocking on the door. Spinarella was on morning shift during the week, but over the weekend, that job apparently fell to Seahawk. I learned that the hard way when he came barging into my room singing some kind of wake-up shanty and was met with a psychotic, sleep-deprived blonde girl screaming in his face. Suffice it to say, that was our last good-morning shanty. At least Catra was entertained, she laughed for a solid minute before I threw a pillow in her face. Eventually, I went downstairs, always before Catra, and ate my yogurt while the other residents slowly came to life around me. At around 8.30, Glimmerwood. Stumble in, though I recently learned that the version of her I met at breakfast went by a different moniker. Don't mention I told you this, Bo confessed one morning, voice lowered to a whisper, but we have a nickname for her when she gets like that. Hordak chuckled darkly, it was the first time I'd seen him so much as smile, let alone laugh. What is it? I asked Bo. It's Dash. Brother, wait. Wrong Hordak interrupted. We turned to look at him in surprise. I would like to say the name. Bo shrugged. Uh, sure. Go for it, buddy. Wrong Hordak giggled like a preschooler. It would have been disturbing if I didn't know him so well by now. Maybe it still was. In the morning, when Glimmer is in one of her terrible moods, Wrong Hordak said, leaning in conspiratorially, we refer to her as Simmer. Bo grinned. Simmer is basically Glimmer's evil alter ego. They're totally different people, and Simmer should not be engaged with, under any circumstances. Not unless you want to lose a few fingers. Or be snapped at by a hysterical, caffeine deprived teenager, Hordak grumbled. Yeah, or that, Bo admitted. Really, I'd wait until she gets halfway through her cup before you even look at her. It's safer that way. Just then, glimmer, shimmer, entered the room, disheveled as ever. The table lapsed into a respectful silence. Outside of equine and MMA, pre-lunch groups were usually pretty boring. I think staff wanted to cover the bulk of our real therapy early on so they could take advantage of our caffeine highs. Generally, morning groups involved a lot of processing, aka talking in depth about our various respective traumas. I wasn't a huge fan of it when it came to myself. All the stuff I'd gone through felt either too mild or too intense to share in a group, and so I spent most of my time sharing deceptively honest trivia about myself that didn't actually mean much at all. If Mara or the other staff members noticed, they never said anything. I enjoyed listening to other people talk, though. They'd all come from such vastly different backgrounds than mine, it was kind of incredible to see how much we all had in common, in spite of that. When I first met her, I'd kind of assumed Glimmer was one of those cool girls with a really active social life who'd intimidated me in high school. And don't get me wrong, she was super cool. She'd visited practically every country on earth, wore designer clothes I'd only ever seen in windows. And had clandestine meetups with people so famous she'd had to sign a nondisclosure agreement afterwards. But beneath all the glamour and rebellion, she'd really been struggling these past few years. And it became increasingly obvious the more I learned about her. Glimmer's childhood had been privileged, but it hadn't necessarily been easy. Growing up the daughter of a major politician, because, oh yeah, her dad was the mayor of Bright Moon at one point, had put her in the public eye a lot. Especially when her dad enacted policies the other kids' parents didn't like. To make matters worse, she was the product of a teen pregnancy, a one night stand with a woman her father didn't even know the name of before she dropped Glimmer at his doorstep. Kids at school hadn't heard the full story, but they knew enough to realize what a scandal it was. And they were relentless. So she didn't have a lot of friends in school, contrary to what I'd believed. By the time she hit college, Her self esteem was completely tanked, she started partying as a way to cope, and had her first manic episode shortly after. It was pretty much all downhill from there. And honestly, as much as I'd catch myself envying the resources she had access to at times, like the free tuition money her dad was giving her, I couldn't say I would have traded my experience for what she had to go through. It sounded like a really brutal way to grow up. Bo was an interesting case. From the way he described it sometimes, you'd assume he lived a pretty charmed life, with his doting parents and middle class background. But the stuff he hinted at in the group was far from ordinary. And some of it was just plain screwed up. For one thing, he had 12 brothers. A full dozen. I guess there were so many kids in the house that his older brother Joe ended up being more of a father figure to him than anyone else in his life. When Joe left to join the military, He wound up with two parents who barely understood him, and didn't really seem to know, or care, how to bridge the gap. I think Joe died. Bo always looks like he's hurting when he talks about him, if he talks about him, and everyone gets sort of quiet and somber when he does. It breaks my heart to think about, but I'm too nervous to ask. I just know. Something went wrong. I wish he'd talk about it more, but I guess I wouldn't want to talk much about it either. The others didn't go in-depth as much, but I managed to learn a little about them, too. Intrapta was in the tech industry. At least, that's what I assumed from the extended rant on advanced robotics she gave in a group that only Bo seemed to understand. I didn't know much about that stuff, which definitely made me question my choice of major a little, but Bo claimed she had a way more advanced understanding of things than he did. She must be pretty invaluable, wherever she's employed at. Hordak did, in fact, used to work for my school. Apparently, he was quite high up in the behavioral enforcement department before getting ousted due to the actions of so called meddling incompetence in his office. When asked by Mara if the ousting had anything to do with his long standing Percocet addiction, Hordak suddenly and miraculously lost the ability to hear. This spontaneous deafness continued until Mara finally gave up and switched to the next person. Wrong Hordak. Man, I had zero clue what was going on with that guy. Glimmer had claimed earlier that he was delusional, and the things he talked about seemed to support that—space battles, interdimensional portals, a bunch of other weird stuff I don't remember. But Mara never corrected him on anything he said, she just nodded and asked occasional clarifying questions. None of us had the guts to bring up the elephant in the room with either of them. I had to assume Mara knew something we didn't know about the situation. And then, of course, there was Catra. Stupid, stubborn Catra, who I really wanted to know more about. But aside from me, she was probably the most talented deflector in the whole group. I'd honestly never seen someone with such a knack for BS. And I grew up with Weaver. Most of what I did learn about her came from her morbid jokes. I knew she definitely didn't have a dad. I'd heard way too many quips about him going to buy milk and never coming back to have any doubt about that. I also knew that she was a sad little foster orphan who'd spent most of her life bouncing from family to family. Based on her retelling, at least one of those homes was physically abusive, and I had to assume that none of them were too great emotionally. But Catra rarely offered anything more specific than that. When Mara pushed, she pushed back. When Mara prodded, she dodged when mara played good cop she shut down completely eventually mara would have no choice but to move on to the next client spending too much time on one person wasn't something she had the luxury of doing in a group setting i didn't even want to think about how torturous their individual sessions must have been in spite of my own reluctance to share i found myself getting frustrated with katra sometimes did she even want to get better if not What was she doing here? Earlier it had just pissed me off because she did, but things were different now. Now, I wanted her to get better because I knew, firsthand, what she was capable of. She was an amazing artist, one who happened to be drop dead gorgeous and extremely charming to boot. She could have any life she wanted. Instead, she bantered with Mara and twisted her way out of difficult conversations like an Olympic gymnast. I wanted to help her but it didn't seem like she was willing to help herself. Anyways. That's enough about my girl problems, for the moment. Lunch was usually pretty upbeat. Raz's meals were to die for, and I'm pretty sure looking forward to them was the only thing that got me through the day without collapsing. I'm sorry, did I forget to talk about Raz? That's hilarious. She's probably the most unforgettable person I've ever met before. I'd heard a few fond references to her from the moment I'd arrived, enough to know the basics. She was the two-dubbed chef, and cooked all of our lunches and dinners in some mysterious off-site location no one seemed to know about. She only emerged every few weeks or so, and always managed to make an impression when she did. And apparently, she'd been in treatment before, and probably still should be," Glimmer whispered one morning over breakfast. None of that prepared me for what it'd be like to actually meet the woman in person. We'd been in some sort of art therapy group on the patio. As you can imagine, I was not having a good time, I had the drawing skills of a first grader, and despite Perfuma's insistence that all art is good art, I was beating myself up pretty hard. It didn't help that Catra was creating what looked to be the magnum opus of the 21st century directly across the table. Really, I just wanted to watch her work. I didn't see how drawing stupid stick figures with that going on next to me was supposed to be even remotely therapeutic. Then, out of nowhere, a voice rang out from behind me. Interesting. I nearly jumped out of my seat. Behind me was an old woman who, outside of Catra, had some of the wildest hair I'd ever seen. She was dressed in flowing pink robes that evoked the distinct image of a friendly old witch who baked gingerbread in the woods. Honestly, I thought I was hallucinating her at first. But I noticed my group mates were all staring up at her with some unique combination of reverence and amusement, and I figured they must be seeing her too. is much truth to be found in art, no? She said, in a thick Slavic accent I couldn't quite place. She gestured to my measly sketch. I can see your path represented very clearly in this creation. Good work, Mara. Huh. I looked down at my drawing again. It was a very, very bad drawing of Swift Wind. I'd placed my stick figure on the floor, holding onto his reins, in this drawing, I'd pulled so hard that I'd actually fallen onto the floor. Swift Wind was standing perfectly still, a cartoon smile plastered on his face. It was literally the worst drawing I'd ever seen. I turned to protest. How is this Dash? Raz had disappeared. Disoriented, I turned back around. The other group members, even Perfuma, had a knowing smile on their faces. It was as if they were saying, Yep. That's her. Get used to it. That was my first and only interaction with Raz thus far. Mysterious prophecies aside, though, she really was a phenomenal cook. I soon grew to appreciate her presence in the house nearly as much as that of the other staff members, for that reason alone. Even without factoring in the meal itself, lunch was still one of my favorite times of the afternoon. No one was super drained from the group yet, so it was a chance to relax and see people at their best. Not to mention playing my new. Favorite table game. Who on earth would have ever assumed a singing game would become the highlight of my day? Not me. We'd only played W.I.B., as it was apparently shortened, once since Thursday. I didn't risk singing along with Catra this time, but it was still incredible. Her voice was one of the few things that could get me to quiet down and just, exist. And while you'd think hearing her perform would make me feel less confident about my own singing, for some reason, it had the opposite effect. I was getting louder and louder every round. I never wore Katra's hoodie anymore. That cat was out of the bag, and after the equine incident, I'd pretty much reached my personal sweat limit anyways. Instead, I'd started wearing long sleeves I'd compiled from a variety of locations. Most of them were from Bright Moon, they'd finally managed to snag some on their most recent Walmart trip, I guess, but a few were from Catra. Those were my favorite. When I was feeling particularly bold, or just overheated, I'd leave the sleeves rolled up. But that was usually just for a minute, when I was pretty sure no one was looking. I told myself I'd make the jump to short sleeves soon, as of then, it hadn't happened yet. Having to process trauma and pee in a cup every few days was vulnerable enough for me without adding that into the mix. After my introduction to the Scroll of Truth, I'd started hanging out with Glimmer and Bo and the others downstairs instead of going to my room after dinner. We'd mostly do our own thing, journaling. In my case, but sometimes we'd all work on a puzzle together, or play a card game. As much as I craved alone time with Katra, I got the feeling our presence was expected downstairs, and I had no intention of joining her in whatever weird rebellion she had going on. But apparently I didn't need to worry. Because for whatever reason, Catra started coming downstairs regularly in the evenings as well, right around the same time. She didn't usually interact all that much, mostly she just sat on the couch and drew, but I still enjoyed her presence. Sometimes I even convinced myself that she was down there because she enjoyed mine. It was dumb, but we all need our delusions to get through the day, right? At least this one wasn't going to get me committed. Things weren't perfect, or even particularly good. I was still in a mental institution, still plagued by anxiety over the simplest things. But at the very least, I was starting to get used to the way things ran around here. It was kind of easy, once you got the hang of it. What wasn't easy, and never had been, was school. I'd started looking forward to computer time each day with a bizarre combination of dread and anticipation. Light Hope really wasn't holding back on those lab assignments, maybe it was my imagination, but it felt like I was doing more than I would on a regular school week. I'd also realized early on that I wasn't allowed to download a lot of the software I needed onto the Bright Moon computers, particularly my 3D CAD package. I was able to do certain assignments on paper or through Excel, with great effort, but there was a large amount of work I simply couldn't finish. And that terrified me. It was getting harder each day to keep my mind off of my outside responsibilities. I found myself zoning out in a group more often than not, my mind running mental calculations and throwing out strategies to optimize my workflow as I sat. It usually didn't get me anywhere. And then, I'd get to the end of the group to find that I'd completely missed whatever conversation the other residents were having. It felt like such a waste, I couldn't get my work done because of therapy, but I couldn't focus on therapy because of my work. It's helpful for me to remember all of the things I mentioned above. Because looking back, I don't think I blew up my life in a single day at all. The cracks were forming earlier than that, I just didn't want to see them. Now they're as obvious to me as bolts of lightning. But I suppose hindsight doesn't do me a whole lot of good at this point. All I can do is comb through it all, and try to make peace with it as best as I can. When I think back about what really triggered the whole thing, it was this, last Friday, some random doctor decided to give me, of all people, a benzodiazepine prescription. The appointment was so incredibly mundane I hadn't even bothered to mention it in the last entry, and I talked about horse shit in that one. To summarize, a guy who called himself Dr. Peekaboo, which was already a huge red flag, called me into the therapist's office, asked the same boring autobiographical questions I'd already answered a billion times before and then somehow worked his doctor magic and charmed me into leaving with a weak supply of adivin. I didn't even know what it meant at first, all the names sounded the same to me. That will be important later, I just told him I didn't want to be on daily meds, so he said he'd prescribe me a low-strength drug for anxiety flare-ups, just in case, and that for as long as I was here I could also have a short-term prescription for another, stronger drug for really bad attacks, just in case, and it all sounded perfectly reasonable and it's not like I'd have to take any of them, so I said yes. And maybe a small, temporary ativan prescription is a reasonable step, for someone with half a brain. But me? I'm a certified moron. You can't prescribe such dangerous drugs to someone like that without consequences. And there were consequences. Anyways. Let me get to the point here. This morning, I was in the middle of a Managing Shame workshop, lead by Mermista, who was reading unenthusiastically from a large binder, when I spotted a sea hawk in the archway. He gestured for me to come towards him, I obeyed, as quietly as I could. I have a call here for you, he said, handing me the cell phone in his hand. I noticed, suddenly, how uncharacteristically nervous his expression was, and felt my stomach drop. If they were letting me take a phone call in here, it must have been pretty urgent. I headed down the hallway and into the living room to avoid disturbing the group. Then I cleared my throat and put the screen to my ear. Hello? Adora. This is Dr. Hope, your department advisor. She announced herself like that every time we spoke over the phone, as if we hadn't been working together, nonstop, for the past three years. I'd long since accepted it as one of her numerous conversational quirks. Hey, Dr. Hope. What's up? Adora, I've received word from a few of your professors that you've been falling dangerously behind on your classwork. They're worried you might not be able to make it up in time for grade submission. My blood froze in my veins. That can't be right. I've been double-checking my assignments board every day. I'm almost positive I've been completing the majority of them. There's a few I'll have to postpone for later because of software requirements, but dash. Did you check the modules for each class individually? My heart thudded in my chest. I, not regularly. Why are there more on there? From the other end, I heard Dr. Hope sigh into the receiver. Yes, Adora. Many professors list assignments under the chapter headings, instead of on the regular due list. You wouldn't have gotten notified of those on your assignments board, you would have had to check yourself. I heard everyone laughing at something Beau had said in the other room. They were so far away now, practically on a different planet. I wished I'd never left. How many have I missed? How behind am I? I'm not sure, Adora. She paused. And I could picture her closing her eyes and sighing, the way she always did when I screwed something up. But it must be quite a lot. Your professors seemed to think it would be wise for you to file for emergency withdrawal. You mean, drop out? The words felt cold and strange in my mouth. Drop out. Drop. Out. Drop out. Yes. You could return to school the following semester, of course. But dash. What about your lab? It was quiet for a moment. Adora, we've discussed this. I can't employ you at the lab if you're not actively attending the university. It's against policy. Against policy. Right. I felt sick. I'm sorry, Adora. Sure she was. I wish I could help. But it's out of my hands. Either you find a way to catch up on your assignments in the next few weeks, or I'll have to let you go. The room had gone cold. Please do your best to keep me posted on your final decision, Dash. I won't need to, I said. The phone was tight in my grip. I'm going to make this work. I'm leaving in a few days, and then I'll make it all up. I'll fix this. I was lying. I knew it, she probably knew it too. I didn't even know what there was to fix yet, how could I make a promise like that? I'd already been struggling before this, and it was about to get so much worse. There was a pretty good chance I was about to lose everything. The panic was coming. I'd thought I'd be okay when I first started talking, but it was undeniable now. I figured I had about thirty seconds, maybe less, until it drowned me completely. I had to wrap up fast. Dr. Hope must have said something. I couldn't really understand anymore. Got it. Thanks again for letting me know. They're making me hang up now, so I'll talk to you later. Adora dash. Click. I looked around blindly for the Seahawk, but he wasn't there. There was no time. I put the phone on the floor. It didn't make sense, but I had to go. I had to leave. I could hardly feel the stairs beneath my feet as I climbed. Stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid Adora. You idiot. You absolute fucking moron. How had you even made it to adulthood? Thank God they were going to kick you out of the lab, you didn't deserve that spot, or anything else they'd given you. You were a waste of space. Of oxygen. Of. Words weren't enough, just then, to communicate the full extent of my self hatred. All I knew was that I wanted to destroy myself. Fortunately, I wouldn't have to, this was going to kill me well enough on its own. I was going to lose my job, my classes, my housing, everything. I was going to lose absolutely everything. I somehow managed to make it down the hallway and towards the front door of my room. The shaking had already started this was going to be a bad one, I could tell. I just needed to get to my bed. I turned the knob. Ten more steps, and I was there. Just ten more steps. Ten more. Catra was on the bed. The workshop hadn't ended, and Catra was on the bed. Why? Didn't matter. This was happening. She said something, but I couldn't hear. I didn't even make it to my side of the room, I just slid to the ground, right by the door. My eyes slammed shut, I curled into the tightest ball I could manage, covering my ears with my hands and sitting upright against the wall. She was yelling at me, or maybe just talking, but I didn't listen. I couldn't hear. If I hadn't killed any chance of impressing her before, this was definitely going to do it. Pathetic. I was pathetic, and she was going to know that now. Not that she didn't already. First the scar, then the heatstroke, now this. What a mess I was. What a fucking disappointment. Might as well just leave. Might as well just die. God, I was going to die no matter what. Even if I left this week, there was no way I'd be able to catch up in. Time. I was backed against a wall, literally and figuratively. Completely alone. No one would ever. Can I touch you? What? Why? Katra? I didn't even know. I just nodded, I didn't care anymore. Let them take me away before I hurt anyone else. Let them lock me up and throw away the key. I didn't want control anymore, I didn't deserve it. Failure. I'd failed. I... Someone's hand was on the back of my neck. My brain froze. It was hers. We'd touched before, but never like this, not so intentionally, with her fingers pressing against my bare skin and staying there. I stilled completely, save for my shuddering breaths. It felt like that point of contact was the only thing tethering my mind to my body. I didn't know why she was doing it. Wasting her time on something as pathetic as me but at that moment, I didn't care. If I was going to die, I wanted to die like this, her palm cupping the back of my neck, thumb rubbing lightly over the ridges of my spine. Let it end here, before I opened my eyes and saw the pity I knew would be waiting for me. I didn't die. She didn't stop. She was murmuring something now. As my heart rate began to drop, I could just make out the words. Take it easy, Adora. I've got you. Everything's okay. Her breathing was deep and calm, I found myself mirroring it, on instinct. I became vaguely aware of another figure hovering at the doorstop, but I ignored it. I couldn't handle the thought of anyone else right now. You're okay. You're safe. The words flowed from her lips like a prayer, low and soft. For just a second, I allowed myself to believe them. I could feel my heart rate dropping in earnest now. I was still curled in a ball, our bodies directly across from each other. Without thinking, I leaned my head slightly into the contact, pressing my temple wearily against the side of her hand. It was probably too much, but she didn't pull back. Instead, she began combing gently through the sides of my ponytail with her fingers. I sighed involuntarily at the touch. I didn't think so. I couldn't. I just let her touch me, and as I did, I began to relax. My breathing steadied, then slowed. Soon, I could feel my body returning to me. I would have stayed there for hours, with her fingers in my hair, thinking of nothing else. But our momentary peace was interrupted by a voice to my right. Thanks so much for your help, Catra. I'll take it from here. Her hand left my hair. My eyes blinked open. Catra was nearer than she'd ever been, sitting crisscross in front of me. For a moment, we maintained eye contact. Her pupils seemed to swell as I watched them. They held me in place. I was transfixed. I noticed for the first time that she had these tiny, almost imperceptible holes above her eyebrow, like she'd had piercings there, at one point. Her skin was so soft. I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to see metal bars threaded beneath it. Then she was gone, and there was nothing but a cold draft in front of me where her body had been. I didn't look up, but I could hear them having a murmured conversation, Mara seemed to be asking why Katra had been up here during group hours. I couldn't hear what she said, but I could tell by the tone of Mara's response that it hadn't impressed her. I looked up just in time to see Catra walk out the door. Her eyes locked on mine for a brief second as she disappeared from sight. It was just me and Mara now. She was looking at me with undisguised concern, and I felt the sudden urge to curl in a ball again. How are you feeling, Adora? I, I don't know, I replied. The tremors were subsiding, but I still felt sick to my stomach. I expected Mara to invite me into her office, or give me some time to put myself together. Instead, she walked into the room and took a seat directly in front of me, her back up against Katra's bed. We sat for a moment and listened to the hum of the air conditioner above us. Do you feel ready to talk a little about what happened? Or would that be too much right now? I let my eyes fall shut for a moment. They felt puffy, even though I hadn't cried. I guess so. Mara nodded. What's coming up for you right now? I couldn't help but smile. You guys really like that phrase, don't you? To my surprise, Mara laughed. I can't argue with that. It's been the go-to-clichéd therapist line since, how does that make you feel, went out of fashion. We used to joke about it in grad school. I chuckled too. The thought of Mara poking fun at herself with a bunch of other wannabe therapists amused me, for some reason. It felt very human. After a beat of silence, I continued. A lot of things, I guess. I just feel, bad. Like my brain's circuits are fried, and there's nothing I can do to fix it. Your body just dumped enough adrenaline to power you through a life-or-death emergency. That'd take a lot out of anyone. Yeah, I guess. I stared at the slots in the wood beneath my feet. Usually I'd say it was irrational. This time, I don't know. Maybe it isn't. She nodded. Seahawk mentioned you'd had a rough phone call with your advisor. Was that what initially triggered your anxiety? My stomach flipped. Yeah. Actually, it's, do you think we could talk about it later? I kind of don't trust myself on that subject right now. Of course. Mara adjusted so that her arms were on top of her knees, mirroring me. I was going to ask, actually, would you like to take your PRN now? It might be a good idea to try it out before you leave 2-dub anyways, so we can make sure you don't have any unusual responses. Looking back, I don't know what it was that made me take the pill after staunchly refusing drugs for the entirety of my hospital stay. There wasn't any big, defining moment or change of heart. I just felt very sick and very tired, and… In that moment, I wanted to feel better more than I wanted to be strong. So I nodded. Okay. If Mara was surprised by my response, she didn't show it. I watched as she unpinned her walkie from her belt loop and relayed the order to a staff member in the nurse's station, probably Sea Hawk, by the sound of his voice. I hoped he'd gotten his phone back. After receiving an affirmative from the other end, Mara set the walkie down in front of her. We lapsed into silence again. I found my thoughts returning to Catra. I wished she'd been able to stay. Maybe I might not have felt the need to take that pill if I'd just had her there instead. But I knew she'd already pushed things enough by taking charge during my panic attack. Nobody said anything specific about it but I don't think we were supposed to get too involved in other clients' breakdowns. In particular, I don't think she was supposed to touch me the way she did, not for that long. Selfishly, though, I was glad she'd decided to anyway. I could still feel her hand in my hair when I closed my eyes. Why had she done it? How often do you have attacks like these? Mara asked. Usually once a week. It's been worse since I got here. That's to be expected, Mara assured. You're spending hours a day tackling your worst triggers. It'd be a miracle if you weren't feeling anxious after that. Yeah. I guess. I adjusted my limbs a little. Haven't seen anyone else on the floor, though. Mara smiled. Are you sure about that? I thought for a second. I mean, I guess there was that thing with Bo and Glimmer's thing a few days ago. But… I trailed off. I wasn't sure how to finish. Mara shrugged. I can't tell you any specifics, but believe me, you are not the only person struggling here. And contrary to what you seem to believe, you haven't been acting particularly crazy at all. I snorted. I've cried like, three times since I got here. Adora, you do recognize that crying is a completely normal response to your current situation, right? Was it? I was spared from having to think about that by the arrival of Seahawk. He carried two tiny paper cups, one of which was full of water. The other seemed to have a tiny pill in the center. He smiled at me when he walked in, seemingly unperturbed by the fact that both me and Mara were sitting on the floor. Hello there, Adora. Your PRN is Ativan, right? I nodded. Did you know that, A, is one of the most commonly used letters in prescription medications nationwide? I didn't, not until I made Scorpia Google it after the fact. But it's true. Apparently, the letter is, overrepresented, in nationwide drug brands. That's bound to make anyone a little confused. Especially if that person has two prescriptions that sound exactly the same. And has just suffered a massive panic attack. Ativan is, in fact, one of my PRNs. I mistakenly assumed it was the weaker one, but it was actually the stronger one. Wanna know what the weaker one is actually called? Atarax. I rest my case. After I nodded my confirmation, Perfuma handed me the cups. My nerves spiked immediately, I'd never taken any kind of psychoactive drug before, besides alcohol. What was it going to do to me? I must have hesitated a bit too long, because I saw Mara's eyebrows knit with sympathy. It's perfectly natural to be scared your first time taking any new drug. If you'd like, we can dash. Down the hatch it went. Ah, okay, then. I swigged from my water. I may have been a complete nervous wreck, but there was no way in hell I was gonna let myself get beat by a pill the size of an ant. I did have some dignity. Seahawk gave me a kind smile before leaving, closing the door gently behind him. Mara and I continued to sit for a while. I was too tired and stressed out to talk much about the attack, and I worried for a moment that she was going to wait until I wasn't anymore. Instead, she spoke you're going to be okay, Adora. No matter what happens. You do know that, right? I just stared at her. It sounded like a completely empty platitude to me. But before I could protest, she continued on. I know you can't see that right now, and frankly, I wouldn't expect you to. I'm not saying things are automatically going to get better in the future, she said, bracketing the words with air quotes. No one can promise that. You know better than anyone how chaotic life can be. I just sighed. She continued. I don't believe that things are going to get better for you because of luck, or hope, or some magical external force, she insisted. I believe it because of who you are. I smiled weakly. Who am I? A fighter. It was quiet for a moment. I stared at Catra's crumpled-up bedspread over man's shoulder. I don't feel like one. I feel like the weakest person on the planet. I scoffed. How strong could I possibly be, if I can't even control my own brain? No one can control their own brain, Mara insisted. Sure, yours might give you a bit more trouble than other people's, from time to time. But that doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong for continuing to persevere in spite of it. A tremor ran through my hand again, I clenched it into a fist. What if I can't keep persevering? Mara nodded. That's where we come in. To get you to the point where you can build a life for yourself that's actually worth living. But even if you do wind up leaving this week, I know you'll find a way. She smiled. And one day, I think you're going to be happier and more resilient than you ever planned. Our eyes met. I sensed that she was trying to channel all of her hope into this single glance, and it moved me. She didn't have to say all of this. She was choosing to. But eventually, another pang of anxiety shot through my system. I dropped my eyes. I'm sorry, Mara, but you're right. I don't believe you. Mara chuckled warmly. That's okay, she said. As I glanced up, she placed her hand over her heart. Her expression was wry, but confident. I'll believe enough for the both of us. Chapter 20, Piercings Looking back, I knew that stupid pill was working better than it should've. I could feel the effects kicking in almost as soon as Mara and I had finished our little chat. By the time lunch rolled around, I was feeling noticeably calmer, and a little bit sleepy. It wasn't a miracle pill, or anything. I could still feel my brain working overtime to sabotage my day. The medication just pumped the brakes a little. Thoughts that would've usually sent my brain spiraling into tangents just fizzled out into nothing instead. Frankly, I wasn't a huge fan. As much as I appreciated having a break from the never-ending doom spiral, I didn't like how out of it the drug made me feel. If anything, Having my thoughts this muddy made me even more disconcerted than I would have been otherwise. The worries were still there, underneath it all, they just had to push through a thick layer of brain soup now to be heard. It was uncharted territory for me. Unfortunately, that state was happening at one of the most inconvenient times ever. Because, as I learned from Glimmer. We're going on an outing. I'd turned the corner at some point after lunch to see her standing in the living room, wearing the same crop top from equine. She held a bright orange bottle in her hand, based on the coconutty scent wafting through the air, I had to assume it was sunscreen. Bo walked in from the kitchen, and I saw that he was wearing his crop top as well, though he sort of always had one, so that wasn't the most reliable indicator. Still, I figured that wherever we were going was probably outdoors. It's going to be so much fun! Bo exclaimed. We've been waiting on this one for weeks now. Mermista said we dash. Wait. I want to say it. Glimmer interrupted. Bo shrugged and gestured towards her, as if allowing her to proceed. We're going, Glimmer said, her voice lowered to a reverent whisper, to the steam grotto. Her eyes were practically sparkling with excitement. The steam grotto. Right. I said, laughing nervously. That one place, where people, um… I scratched my head. Okay, I'm sorry. What exactly is a steam grotto? The look Bo and Glimmer flashed at me was a familiar one, it was the same expression kids would give in high school, when I told them I'd never seen mean girls before. What? How have you never heard of the steam grotto? Bo gasped. It's the most famous natural landmark in the area. It's featured on, like, every single national documentary ever made. I shuffled my feet with embarrassment. Yeah, well, I don't know. I didn't leave Horde much as a kid, to be honest. Clearly, Glimmer said, rolling her eyes. Well, today's your lucky day. This place is by far the coolest outing Bright Moon ever lets us do lots of people don't even get to go during their stay here. But you do. Awesome! I said, trying to sound enthusiastic. The words, Steam Grotto, still weren't conjuring a lot of thrilling images for me. So, er, what is it, exactly? Picture a bunch of gorgeous mini-pools with waterfalls and gemstone cliffs and stuff. But they're naturally heated. So it's basically like a bunch of jacuzzis built straight into the ground. I scrunch my nose, struggling to imagine the appeal. Wouldn't that be, hot? Exactly. She grinned. But don't worry. They have a lot of cold pools too, so it's busy all year long. And you just, sit? Glimmer rolled her eyes. Yeah, Adora, you, just sit but it's more than that. I've been twice now, and it's seriously my favorite place on earth. They've even got concessions and a gift shop nearby. So you can get refreshments and stuff while you relax. Relaxing. Buying things. None of this sounded like my cup of tea. But I forced a smile anyway. Sweet. Can't wait. What should I wear, exactly? A swimsuit. Though you'll probably want to cover up somewhat beforehand. It's a pretty long walk to get in. Just then, the rest of the group burst into the living room all at once, and it was quite a sight. I'd never imagined seeing wrong Hordak in a pair of bright blue swim trunks with yellow rubber duckies on them, but I suppose I shouldn't have been too surprised. Intrapta was wearing a white tank top with long pink swim shorts, and Hordak was wearing his normal clothes. Either he was wearing something underneath, or he didn't plan on getting in the water. It was a pretty uncomfortable-looking summer outfit. I realized, suddenly, that we were missing a member of our party. She must have still been upstairs. I also realized that I need to get changed into a swimsuit and pick something to wear, preferably something a bit more season-appropriate than the white long-sleeve Katra had given me. An idea was emerging from the depths of my soupy brain. Be right back, you guys. Without waiting for a response, I hurried back down the hallway and towards the stairs. I took them two at a time, trying to move as quickly as possible. Without drawing attention to myself. If this was going to work, I had to catch her before she started changing. She'd be too stubborn to negotiate with otherwise. Excited and a bit disoriented from the medication, I headed towards the door of my room and pushed my way inside without knocking. Katra was completely topless. I froze dead in my tracks. The gears of my already muddled brain stopped turning completely. Katra was topless. She had pierced nipples. I was staring. Why couldn't I stop staring? Her nipples were pierced. This is getting weird now. I needed to move. She had pierced nipples. After a few airless seconds that felt like an eternity, I tore my eyes away. Sorry. I didn't, um, I should have knocked, I stammered. I could feel my face turning beet red as I headed to my dresser and began rummaging aimlessly through my underwear drawer. I refused to look up, but her voice sounded pretty indifferent. You're good. I doubt these are the first tits you've ever seen. I almost choked on empty air. I I've never been with a girl, if that's what you mean. I was spending way too much time in this underwear drawer. I didn't even need underwear. There was a brief pause. Adora, I meant your own. You have a perfectly good pair sitting right under your nose. Kill me. Right. Yeah. No, I, okay, you know what, I'm just gonna stop talking now. I screwed my eyes shut as tight as they'd go. Maybe I could drown in my own brain soup, if I tried hard enough. But then I heard Catra chuckle behind me, and I couldn't help but smile despite the heat in my cheeks. You can turn around, dummy. I'm decent. After praying to any god that would listen that I would act normal for once, I did a 180 degree twist on the balls of my feet, hands tucked awkwardly in the waistband of my shorts, until I was facing her. She was wearing a black sports bra now. Everything was covered up, though I was finding it hard to keep the glint of her jewelry out of my head. Was that why her chest was so noticeable without a bra? I'd thought they'd confiscated piercings when we got here, but obviously, Jesus Christ, Adora, wake up. The smirk on her face spoke volumes. But to my relief, she didn't press the issue. We're leaving at 10. You might want to pick an outfit fast. She made her way to her own dresser as she spoke, perusing the open drawers with zero urgency whatsoever. I steeled my focus. Actually, that's what I was hoping to talk to you about. Catra looked up at me, eyebrows slightly cocked. I glanced nonchalantly towards the ceiling, trying my best to radiate innocence. Bo and Glimmer are wearing crop tops. And? I also brought a crop top. She gave me a strange look. Uh, congratulations? Not sure why you're telling me this. Time for the moment of truth. A small, barely there smile crept onto my face as I met her stare. You brought a crop top. There was a brief pause, then suddenly, her eyes widened with understanding. No. Katreya dash. Not a chance. You're ridiculous. I was grinning like an idiot now. It'll be fun. I whined. Come on, you already did it once. She scowled. That was a total accident. The only reason I didn't run back into change was because Spinnerella had a hard-on for that horse therapist chick, and wouldn't let anyone show up late. I crossed my arms defiantly, she mirrored my gesture without hesitation. I couldn't help but notice the way her scars slipped into view with the gesture, and realized with a start that mine was probably showing too, the sleeves had shifted up a bit. I was too focused on my mission to care. I won't tell anyone we're, you know, doing a thing. You can just pretend you did it by accident again, like last time. Okay, but like, what exactly do I get out of this thing? What's the point? I fumbled a bit. It's, you, I don't know, mental patient solidarity? Matching is just fun. I shrugged helplessly. Plus, it's summer. You can, get a stomach tan, or whatever. She rolled her eyes. You really are desperate to see as much of my body as you can, aren't you, princess? I flushed. Don't try to change the subject. It won't work. You sure? Come on, Katra, please. I'll love you forever if you do. The words were out before I could second guess them. But Katra just smirked. Well, now I'm definitely not doing it. I bit the inside of my cheek to keep my face straight. Brat. Katra just smirked. We stood that way for a moment, twin pillars of defiance, neither of us willing to back down. I noticed, at random, that there was some redness around the rims of her eyes. Almost as if she'd been crying. I suddenly remembered her presence in the room during the workshop, and wondered, suddenly, if I'd interrupted anything else besides changing when I barged in here. Eventually, she sighed. What kind of crop tops does a person like you own, anyways? Shredded up lacrosse jerseys? I grinned, ignoring the jab. I recognized a win when I heard one. Of course not. I found mine at Goodwill. It's very fashionable. Katra snorted. Let me see it, then, she said, turning her back to me. I might be considering this, but only if yours is like, really hot. Just to make sure you aren't outdoing me. I laughed awkwardly as I turned back to my own drawer. Eyes scanning for the red polyester of my running shorts. I couldn't if I tried. She didn't respond right away. When she finally spoke, her voice was layered with something I couldn't recognize. Humble and pretty, huh? she murmured. It's a shame you don't like girls. They'd be all over you. It was at this point that my brain attempted to pull itself in four separate directions at once, like a team of rookie sled dogs and I completely lost the ability to communicate. We changed separately. After the previous incident, I had no interest in violating Katra's boundaries more than I already had, so I relocated to the bathroom. I didn't bother to close the door, though, that felt a bit excessive. Girls change in front of each other all the time, right? I felt like they did. Maybe that was just in lacrosse. I didn't realize until I'd peeled my shirt off what I was really committing to, with all of this, exposing my scar. Not just for Katra and the group, but for a bunch of random strangers as well. If I hadn't taken my PRN I probably would've backed out. But at the moment, the idea seemed just tolerable enough for me to stay the course. Besides, I'd have to show it eventually anyway. I wasn't planning on swimming in the chancla hoodie. I only had one bathing suit, a sporty, light green two-piece I'd bought impulsively online, after years of feeling uncomfortable in traditional bikinis. I slipped my red shorts over it and grabbed my gold-trimmed crop off the floor. It was a bit wrinkled from all that time spent crammed in a suitcase, but I figured the heat would iron most of that out. I'd even managed to find both of my knee-high socks without too much trouble. Usually, I was always missing at least one of them. Finally, the gist of my outfit was complete. I took the opportunity to inspect my body in the mirror for the first time in ages. My muscle tone had decreased quite a bit from the lack of exercise equipment, I hadn't realized until then. And of course, there was the scar, totally uncovered, a glaring disruption to my otherwise cohesive outfit. My stomach fell. Just breathe, I told myself. No one is going to care half as much about this as you do. Feeling suddenly claustrophobic in the confines of the bathroom, I headed back towards Catra. I avoided her stare—this outfit was making me feel a lot more vulnerable than I'd anticipated—and reached for the red and cream sneakers I'd tucked against the back wall. Do you think we should bring money to a place like this? Or are we not allowed to buy anything while we're here? No response. I turned to look at Katra. She looked like she'd just run into a screen door. Seriously. Like, I half expected to see those cartoon dizzy star things whirling around her head. Her mouth was slightly open, and from the way she was staring at me, you'd think I was wearing nothing at all. Jesus. Was the scar that bad? Or was it the outfit itself she was reacting to? Maybe this had been a mistake. I know it's dumb. With the socks, and the matching colors, and stuff. I stared down at my feet. I don't know. Maybe I should change dash. Are you crazy? I looked up in shock at the outburst. Catra seemed surprised with herself, too. Her eyes widened. I just meant, I mean, do what you want, she eventually stuttered. Obviously. I'm not. I just think it looks, good. What you have now? For a moment we just stared at each other, both of our cheeks darkening. So, you think it's okay? I asked. A silly little grin was spreading across my face, though I still didn't fully understand why. Catra wrapped her arms tight across her chest. Whatever. It's, fine, I guess. Not my style, but it's all right with you. I just kept smiling and turned my attention to my laces. I wasn't sure what to make of that, but it felt positive to me. Maybe this outfit wasn't so bad after all. She turned her attention towards her own underwear drawer, I took the opportunity to sneak peeks at her as I tied my shoes. She'd changed into her own crop top and had seemingly settled on wearing a swimsuit beneath it instead of her sports bra. I couldn't help but eye the line of her bikini, it looked pretty scant, compared to mine. She'd even put her hair up in a bun. I saw, for the first time, that the lower part of her hair was shaved. I'd missed it under all the fluff. She looked, good. She kind of always looked good. I thought Katra had forgotten my question as she rifled around her drawer but eventually, she spoke. Money's allowed. You can't have a job while you're here, but you can spend what you've got. So long as you aren't buying weapons or crack, I guess. Have you ever been to the grotto before? I asked, giving my shoes a final double knot. I was wondering what they had there. Not really. I'm, uh, not a fan of water, to be honest. But I've heard Sparkles talk about it plenty. They've got a little concession booth there with snacks and drinks in. She trailed off again. I looked up to find her staring at me with a downright criminal look of mischief on her face. Hey, Adora. Hey, Catra. I replied cautiously. I tried to ignore how much I enjoyed it when she said my name. How old are you? Uh, 21. I just had my birthday last January. Why? How old are you? Got an ID, she asked, fielding the question. I was beginning to see where she was going with this. Of course. It's in my wallet. I assume they'll give it back to me when I ask for my money. Catra grinned. Maybe this won't be such a boring trip, after all. My expression went flat. Are you seriously suggesting Dash? I'm not suggesting anything at all. That would be completely unethical and super against the rules. She put her hand to her chest in a display of mock fidelity. Which, as you know, I have the utmost respect for. I rolled my eyes. Uh huh. Well then, it's a good thing you're not thinking what I thought you were thinking of. Because I'm fairly certain they test for that here. You know, with the mandatory drug screenings we do every 48 hours? You're right, it is a good thing, she purred. She turned her back on me and began rifling nonchalantly through her top drawer. Though, if I was thinking about that, which, again, I'd never do, it'd probably be important to mention that alcohol leaves the urine in under 24 hours. And we just did a test about two hours ago. She was right. We'd both peed in cups this morning, to my dismay. But was she really still considering this? I've heard alcohol lasts up to two days, sometimes. Plus, aren't you, like? I stopped myself. She raised an eyebrow. Like, what? Great. Like, I don't know. I floundered a bit. Aren't you, like, literally here for drug addiction? she actually cocked her head at that. Of course not. Why would you think that? I gave her a look. Uh, because this is a rehab? And you went to a 12-step meeting yesterday? Katra scoffed. They make anyone who's ever done drugs go to those things. Honestly, I'm surprised there's only three of us. As much as I wanted to be relieved by that, a part of me was still wary. I couldn't stop playing back what Catra had said to me during Equine, about the stuff she'd been through at clubs in the past. Was this a more dangerous situation than I thought? Would I be enabling her by buying something? Catra seemed to sense my hesitation. Her expression softened as she stepped closer. Hey. Her hand found my shoulder. A shiver ran down my body from the point of contact. You don't have to do anything. I was mostly just kidding about the whole idea, anyways. But if it makes you feel better, I'm genuinely not an alcoholic. She shrugged. I'm insanely fucked up. And I make terrible decisions, on a regular basis. But as of now, none of them have resulted in a substance addiction. She squeezed my shoulder, then released, turning back toward her accessory drawer. Ugh. I was about to do something really stupid wasn't I? I trust you. Catra turned. She gave me a curious look. Thanks, she said wryly. I appreciate it. She turned back to her drawer. I took a deep breath. I'll do it. I saw her still. Adora, she said. Her voice was careful, but when she turned her head, I could see that she was fighting a smile. I meant what I said. You don't have to. Exactly, Adora. You don't have to. Why was I, again? Oh right. Because I was stupid. I know, I said, trying to act casual. I want to, though. If you do. Finally, Catra turned. The look she gave me rooted me into place. It was intense. Alive. Then she began walking, almost intentionally slow, towards me. Am I a bad influence on you, princess? she asked. Something about the way she said it sent a chill through my body. She was in front of me now. She'd held me in her eyes almost the whole way, now, close up, I thought I might drown in them. I could sense, somehow, that she was trying to fluster me. And maybe it was the medication talking but I felt strangely disinclined to let her. So I kept eye contact. I didn't break. Only when she began fidgeting with the tassels of my shirt did I drop my gaze to her fingers instead. A shiver passed through me as they brushed against my collarbone through my shirt. As if I was possessed by something else entirely, I spoke. Do you want to be? I asked softly. And, oh, I very much liked the response I got from that. Catra seemed to freeze in place, her fingers stilling at my collar. When I looked up, she was biting her lip to keep from smiling, but doing a pretty poor job of it. It gave me an ego boost to have drawn that kind of reaction from someone like her. Interesting, she said. When I met her gaze again, I felt my cocky facade collapse like a wall of sand. I swallowed. She seemed to be taking me in with a curious sort of intensity, I had the sudden feeling that I'd revealed more of myself than I'd intended. I couldn't tell if the thought terrified or excited me. What? I asked, all bravado gone. I could feel the flush creeping up my cheeks now. I don't, why? A slow smile spread across Catra's face. She shrugged. Nothing. Then, in one fluid movement, She flicked my tassels over my shoulder and gently slid past me on her way out the door. I exhaled as quietly as I could. For just a moment, I allowed myself a stupid, giddy smile. I was beginning to think this girl was going to kill me long before my anxiety did.